The Balut Kiki Project is a proud member of Bunk Collective. Picture this. Two guys talking about true crime. Weird mysteries. Horror stories. But the conversation is light. Mostly funny. And sometimes naughty. This is Scriptsalog. A Spotify exclusive. I'm Gideon. And I'm Glenn. And we're serving huge portions of horror and true crime twice a week. We'll make sure your cravings are satisfied. And you'll, and you'll be begging for more. Char. <laughs> Check us out. This, this is, is Scriptsalog. Available, available exclusively on Spotify. Spotify. This Balut Kiki project contains themes, depictions, and language of an adult and mature nature. Listener discretion is advised. You're tuned into the Balut Kiki project. All right, here we go. Here goes nothing. It's another year, it's another project, and welcome to the Balut Kiki Project. This is the podcast where we try our best to normalize conversations that are considered Difficult and taboo in Philippine culture. We know it's a Herculean task, but we are here to chip away at that huge wall of hypocrisy and ignorance, one kiki at a time. Ako po si Jeff, and if this is the first time that you're tuning into the podcast, welcome. We're so happy you're here with us, and thank you for clicking play. Kung dati na po kayong Bessie and certified Bessie, and you've uh, been here before, you know the drill. We have to invite you to come and click the follow, like, and the subscribe button, wherever you're listening to us from. And my rate button na po ang Spotify, if this is where you're listening to us, be generous and give that five-star rating a quick tap. You can And also write us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. We have more than 100 five-star ratings on Apple and Podchaser combined. So thank you to everyone who's rated us and reviewed us. If you want to support the show, you can head over to our Buy Me A Coffee page. A link is at the bottom of the page where you're on. So, so the support that you give us just helps us continue doing what we do. So Bessies, just to give you a little bit of context, we were, I'm going to use the past tense. We're, we've released this episode as we welcome 2022. So Happy New Year. Year, manigong bagong taon Pilipinas. We hope we all find 2022 kinder, gentler, and quieter for all of us. I guess when you grow old, you just want a little bit of quiet and gentle in your life. <laughs> so to kick off the new year, we have invited a very special guest to help us with another mental health project. When her details were sent to me by another, a third party entity, and I saw her details and what she does, I was like, she's perfect for the show. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Miss Kim Solander. Kim, say hi to your Filipino audience. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. And I feel really honored to have been welcomed to this podcast and get to talk about these really important issues. Very important. It's literally New Year's Eve where Kim is uh, right now. So Kim, thank you for your time. I know this is a no very problem. busy time for everyone. Yeah, And no problem. I'm so happy to be here. Just make sure that you don't have anything cooking on the oven. <laughs> That's kind of very well <laughs> doing the kiki. All right. So Bessies, let me just tell you why I invited Kim on the show. Like I said, when I read her bio and what she does, I was like, she's perfect for the Blue Kiki Project. Kim has a podcast. Her podcast is entitled Teach, Emote, Repeat, the Contemporary Educators Podcast, where she promotes mental health awareness and trauma-informed practices, among other things. There's a link uh, on the description of this episode if you want to listen to her podcast sometime. Kim is also a high school teacher, 
that alone <laughs> says a lot about her. <laughs> How do you keep it together? <laughs> yeah, lots you deserve- of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that will lots help. Of you, des- you deserve a Nobel Peace Prize or a Medal of Honor, <laughs> a raise definitely for being. And she is a registered therapist. So Kim, I'll take it to you. Tell us what exactly it is that you do. Sure. Yeah. So uh, like you already mentioned, I am a teacher and I have been teaching now. I just hit my 10 year mark, but part of, um, yeah. You started young. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did. Um, Which was great because I I was able to get a lot of experience really early on. And I started actually, my teaching career was entirely started working with high risk, at risk young people in custody. So I worked in a, a youth detention center. And so I was there for several years and really built my experience learning more about trauma and how behavior is really connected to, to trauma responses Mm -hmm. and that uh, trauma response um, can look a lot of different ways. And we often have to navigate those in the classroom. So that's really what led me to get my master's in counseling psychology, where I focused on like drama therapy, because Mm -hmm. I'm actually a drama teacher and theater teacher. Wow. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, so then I went and, and did my master's in counseling psych. And part of that experience, I was working with high risk young people who were suicidal and experiencing suicidal ideation and major depressive disorder and, um, and lots of other, uh, kind of concurrent, uh, diagnoses at the time. And, and I worked specifically in like a community mental health uh, organization. You've been doing a lot of things. Wow. And I have, yeah, very young. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of things at the same time. I don't recommend that, but, (laughs) but I did do a lot of things all at once. Um, and I also worked in addiction. So I worked in inpatient addictions treatment center for, uh, primarily teenage boys. And then, uh, I, I kind of moved into alternative education where I was a teacher uh, in a school for primarily young women and trans youth who uh, struggle in the mainstream school system and struggle to find connection uh, and feel supported and uh, and safe in a mainstream school. Wow. So really perfect for the Balut Kiki project. (laughs) And when I invited you, Kim, I may have told you a little about about the Philippines and where we are in terms of mental Mm. health issues. All right. So mental health Bessies, if you're listening, and you know this if you're Filipino, mental health treatment is almost non-existent in the Philippines. I'm tempted to say just non-existent, but my my co-host Melanie will kill me. So I I have to say almost. I'm the jaded one in the podcast. I'm the pessimist. I'm the (laughs) guy with the glass half empty. So I'll say almost non-existent, but we are still a long way from addressing the issue head on, Kim. We've made a lot of strides, I know, the past Mm -hmm. few years. In the Philippines, we just do not recognize mental health illnesses as illnesses. um, And that has got to change. I'm happy that in the Mm -hmm. past year, uh, the 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 phrase "it's okay to not be okay" has become a cool mantra, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But we're here yeah. to push that a little bit further and make sure that this sticks and this this just not become a fad. Yeah. The current situation in the Philippines is dire to say the least. If it's dire in Canada where you are, or yeah. in the U.S. or ev- in in first world countries, you can just imagine mm-hmm. a third world yeah. country like the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I just want to put a little bit of context into the culture as well. In the Philippines, health services, more so mental health services, are for the rich. The poor simply do not get any. 
and I think Melanie, for all her optimism, cannot argue with me on this. There's a running joke that I'd like to tell you about the Philippines, Kim. If you're rich in the Philippines and you're a little bit uh, different and kooky, you're called eccentric because that just sounds posh. Mm -hmm. But when you're poor, you're just the weirdo next door. Get the fuck out of here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, in yeah. the Philippines, the rich get a nervous breakdown. A poor person just goes nuts and goes crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was hauled into the luna bin faster than you can say bats in the belfry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if you're yeah, rich, yeah, yeah. like girl, she, 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 you know, she had a nervous breakdown, lay off of her, yeah. give her a break. Oh, well, you yeah. have the privilege of it being a nervous breakdown as opposed to like somebody who is struggling with their own mental health, who doesn't have the resources. Exactly. Then it's, if, yeah, you're If you're poor, they just, they, they're more unforgiving. You're, you, right. Girl, she went, she went apeshit. People are tend to give more leniency to the rich just because they're rich. And mm-hmm. it, if that sounds worse in English, it sounds even worse in, in our language. Like the, the rich get an allergy or dermatitis. When you're poor, mm-hmm. it's just boils and shankers all over your body right. <laughs> you know what i right. mean so yeah 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 alzheimer's is called second childhood wow yeah it, it, she's she's undergoing a second childhood wow so and yeah. if you're filipino you know this you yeah. know this so you will get this joke so it just goes to show kim how pronounced the divide is the economic divide mm-hmm. is when it comes to the availment of health services more so mm-hmm. mental health because our culture has just not acknowledged the existence of mental health for years. My parents, you know, I mean, they didn't have to deal with it. So on this podcast, what we've been doing, Kim, is we've, um, for the past 29 episodes in the last year, we've begged, borrowed, and stolen, finding and asking people like you who are experts in their fields, who have done this for years, to perhaps Mm -hmm. give advice for free, an hour's worth of free advice, valuable advice to Filipinos Mm -hmm. who may not be able to afford a trip to the psychiatrist, to the psychologist, to a counselor, or Mm -hmm. in your case, a therapist, you know? Mm -hmm. And you've worked with a lot of LGBT youth, uh, LGBTQ2 plus uh, people as well. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much my entire theater program right now is composed of young people who identify as LGBTQ2 plus. Oh my God. God bless you. So I think a lot of adults will learn tons from this episode. So if you're a parent, a teacher, an older person in the family, or even if you're going through a mental illness yourself, mm-hmm. uh, sit tight, stay tuned. I'm very confident you'll have a lot more, or more than a few takeaways from this project. So we'll take a short break. We'll talk to Kim when we come back. So we'll balik nang the Balut Kiki Project. We are serving you unadulterated Balut Kiki in five, six, Seven. <laughs> Welcome back to the Balut Kiki Project. Ako po si Jeff and andito po ako with Kim uh, from Canada who is a teacher and a registered therapist who works with high-risk youth prone to mental health issues. So Kim, let's get started, all right? Why is it important to start early with mental health issues? Why do parents and teachers have to pay close attention to this often neglected part of a person's well-being, mental health? Oh God, there's so many reasons that it's important. Part of uh, part of what happens when a young person is feeling dismissed or they're not feeling seen or heard, that's when we start to see behaviors escalate into things like addiction, suicidality, and severe mental health, or what we might call moderate to severe mental health, which is extreme anxiety, depression, anything that can be diagnosed by a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And um, 
what we don't understand is this is the nature versus nurture argument when it comes to a diagnosis. And what we don't understand is that many of these really complex mental health issues can be supported from a young age so that young people develop coping strategies. They feel nurtured and supported and feel uh, heard and acknowledged and can understand actually what's going on with them. And that can allow them to cope differently than uh, say using substances or, you know, dropping out of school or resorting to all of these other strategies that are also coping strategies, but aren't Mm -hmm. helpful and healthy long-term. And my research, because I've told everyone here that I also was a nurse for 15 years, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I acknowledge that Kim probably knows more about this subject than I do and has more experience. But 75% of severe mental health problems emerged before the age of 25. Mm-hmm. 75% of severe mental health problems emerged before mm-hmm. the age of 25. So it's really important to start young. Early intervention in childhood and adolescence can prevent or mitigate potentially lifelong mental Ill- health illnesses, right? Well, and so many mental health diagnoses are comorbid, meaning there's mm-hmm. multiple that happen at the same time. And so what we see from somebody who's say four or five years old, a really young child, uh, we might say, oh, you know, they're hyperactive mm-hmm. or they're easily distracted. What we don't understand is that when that those behaviors are left unchecked at four or five, when they get to adolescence, they have now become compliant. Mm -hmm. And so now they might not be hyperactive and jumping out of their seats all the time, but that doesn't mean that those behaviors aren't being channeled differently. Mm -hmm. And that can often mean that it's now branching out into different things. Like Mm -hmm. now it's depression because they've spent an entire childhood locked in a seat Mm -hmm. when what they needed to do was move their bodies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this has now become anxiety because they're told that they're not allowed to move. So then everything that they are experiencing is just sitting physically in their core all day. And it just is going to escalate. So if it was ADHD as a four or five-year-old that could have been treated with coping strategies, or even just allowing a young person to move has now become ADHD comorbid with anxiety and possibly depression, because Mm -hmm. many times those things come really entwined and hand in hand. It's sad, Kim, in the Philippines. I'm painting a really bad picture for the Philippines. This is the <laughs> truth, all right? I'm laying, just laying down the truth. It's sad in the Philippines. Parents allot money to buy their kids vitamins to ensure that their kids grow tall. So, and if you're a Filipino parent and you've, you know I'm talking to you, you've done this, all right? You say your 10 Hail Marys when you go to bed tonight because parents actually allot a budget. We're more concerned whether a kid grows tall rather than healthy. Yeah. Then, then pay attention to a child's mental health, mental pay health. any concern. Yeah. Growing up, my parents, and I know this from experience, my parents were more concerned about us when we play, God forbid we got scars, especially for my sisters, because scars don't look good on, on girls. You know what I mean? Mm. And just nothing on mental health. I don't remember anything, any attention that was paid to mental health. <laughs> What types of situations or problems um, universally or especially including LGBTQ2 plus youth do you deal with? Uh, Well, all sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, So I see now that I'm a teacher in a mainstream school, what I see the most of is depression, anxiety and Mm. uh, and that kind of comorbid um, that pairing and uh, quite often, particularly with LGBTQ2 plus 
young people, people forget that that demographic is much more prone to suicidality and severe mental health than most other demographics of cisgender straight kids. And so part of that is because of this feeling of like not belonging, not feeling accepted, not feeling heard and not feeling seen. Mm -hmm. So I see that a lot in school where uh, by the time they get to me in grade nine or 10, you know, which is high school in the Philippines, which is high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's high school here too. Grade nine through 12 is high school. Mm -hmm. And so by, so they'd be, you know, 13 to 18 years old is usually the age group that I'm discovering themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so by the time they get to me, they've already been questioning their gender and their sexuality for quite a while. This isn't gender and sexuality. Like it's, it's not something you just wake up one day, which as you know, and say, huh, you know what, (laughs) maybe, maybe I do want to be gay or maybe I do want to be the other gender. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just not the reality. It's Mm -hmm. just that this has been something that they've been questioning and struggling with for a really long time and have had these kind of social norms and expectations enforced on them from the time that they're really young. And so by the time they're in grade nine, 10, they're really looking for that feeling of belonging and looking for a space where they can be safe to say, Hey, you know what? I want to try on this other gender. And I think that this is a better fit for me and I need to be safe to, to do that. And, uh, if they're not given the space or the opportunity to do that, then that's when we start to see the major mental health stuff mm-hmm. creep in. Um, I was just going to ask in your experience in, in, in where you are in Canada at grade nine and 10, do the kids come to you? The young people come to you and say, I'm actually questioning. Yeah. So I actually, for the past five, seven years of my, my teaching career, I ask kids in, in, we do a pronoun circle at the start Uh of every class. So I'll say, hi, my name is Kim. I use she, her pronouns. Mm -hmm. If you're comfortable telling me what pronouns you use or what pronouns you'd like to use, whether it's he, him, she, her, they, them, or another alternative, feel free to tell me now. And if you don't feel comfortable telling me, I also have a biography sheet that I give out so students can tell me there. And then I also clarify whether or not they're safe to use those pronouns at home or in the greater school community. But I do have a lot of students who will come to me and say, hey, I uh, I want to talk to you about my gender or my sexuality, and I don't know how to navigate these conversations with other people. Because now we do that, even in a corporate world, people in their emails now try to identify the pronouns, like I'm Jeff, mm-hmm. I use he, him, uh, his pronouns. Do you reckon mm-hmm. that it's good to start uh, children early? And how should teachers or parents explain this, uh, why this is important? Totally. Okay. totally. I think it's good to start early. Like, Uh, In high school, they already have an understanding of what pronouns are and what they mean, but I don't think that there is an age limit on when we can start to have these conversations. Uh, I think that the more we normalize the fact that our pronouns are are part of our identity and that they don't have to be the ones that were assigned to us at birth, the more it's just commonplace for Mm -hmm. people to identify as how they actually feel. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is something that I often say to young people, you know, if they come to me and they say, Hey, uh, you know, I want to talk to you because I, I think I'm gay and I I have a crush on Mm so-and-so it's like, well, guess what? That person didn't feel the need to, this other person didn't feel the need to come out to me when they had a girlfriend and were identifying as straight. So Mm -hmm. why do we have a culture in which heterosexual people don't have to come out, but we have these huge reactions when a a queer student Mm. has to, you know, is, is faced with coming out. And, and the reason we have that right now is because it hasn't been normalized in Mm. our language and in our culture. And the more that we can normalize those conversations, then 
it's not going to be a shock when a student shows up with their same-sex partner. It's not going to be a shock if they show up with their partner who's trans. And we don't have to feel uncomfortable or awkward having those conversations because it's been normalized from the time that they're young. Mm. And I think we do that by exposing them, exposing young people throughout their lifespan to uh, different types of relationships, different gender identities and different sexualities. And we stop referring to a gender binary Mm -hmm. as though it's just male or female. Simple dichotomy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just had a thought that sometimes it's nice as a queer person, it's nice to make a straight person feel uncomfortable. Um, if they tell you they're straight, you ask them, do your parents know? And they, it's usually followed <laughs> by a chuckle or a laugh. And like, you just sit there and like, no, I'm asking you, do your parents know? Because I get asked that a lot. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the discomfort that, you know, if you're in a relationship, like you get asked, uh, who's the girl in the relationship? And it's just an uneducated and uninformed question. But that's it's it's part of uh, queer life. We get asked that question a lot. Yeah. The thing is that the problem is, you know how they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm -hmm. So these teachers who've been brought up in a conservative uh, family environment who did Mm. not have the education that you had find it hard to do this to their kids because they don't feel comfortable with it. So how do they manage that? Frankly, they just have to get over it because it's not about their comfort anymore. It really isn't. When we're dealing with things like moderate to severe mental health and we have young people who are struggling to the point of suicidality, I don't care if you're uncomfortable. It's not about you. <laughs> no, it's not about you. Get uncomfortable. That's fine. It's it's not about your comfort. Cis people have been comfortable forever. Straight people have been comfortable forever. We have never had to be uncomfortable. So it's, you know, it's not about your comfort anymore. And it's, I get that it's uncomfortable to have to adapt. And sure, it means you're not only adapting your Uh, your language and the way that you talk to young people, you're also adopting your curriculum so that you are not using just, I always call them the like old white dead guys texts. Like we have to adapt all of our stuff to make sure we're reflective of who is actually in our class. Mm -hmm. And that means our LGBTQ2 plus students, they are Mm -hmm. in our class and they Mm -hmm. need to see themselves in what we're reading. And so if that means that you have to adapt your curriculum, you adapt your curriculum. Mm -hmm. If you have to change the way that you talk or change the the things that you say and do and your behaviors, then do that. And if you can't do that, then the teaching profession has outgrown you. Yeah, good point. You just gave me goosebumps there, girl. <laughs> you gave me goosebumps, yeah. So you think that, you because th- we use pronouns in the Philippines. We've just used them in an entirely grammatical perspective. You think right. that's a good place to start to ask for a teacher to start with my the pronouns that I use are uh, she, her, or him, his, and go in a pronoun circle. You think that's a good place to start? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And I always give kids a pass because they might not want to say what their Mm -hmm, pronouns mm -hmm, are. mm -hmm. Uh, And if they are questioning, but they're not ready to tell us, they, you know, they might, Mm -hmm. they might just want to just skip it all together. And that's totally fine. But we have to keep modeling that even though I present as the gender that I was assigned that doesn't mean that there should ever be assumptions about any one person's gender. And so we can make sure that we're continuing to have that conversation of like, I do it every week with my class. 
And so every Monday, every Monday we do, uh, we also do a mental health check-in. So we do us on a scale of one to 10. How are you feeling today? Do you want to tell us about your weekend? If you don't want to tell us about your weekend, that's totally fine. You can just give a number. Let's all of us know kind of where you're sitting today. If you're a three collectively as a class, we have to do our best to get you to a four or higher by the end of the class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then you just say your name and your pronoun and, and that I, I actually just started doing it that frequently, uh, last year because the students were saying, well, what happens if I change my pronoun partway through a semester? Because what happens are, if I change people my can name? Question. Some people are questioning, right? Yeah, totally. And, mm. and rather than put them on the spot halfway through the semester and say, well, we're going to do another pronoun circle. And everybody's saying, why? Who's different now? Yeah. <laughs> and then everybody's looking around the circle, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just do it every week so that it just becomes a part of our conversation all the time. Mm-hmm. And nobody is ever put in a position where they're the person coming out. The thing is that children or young people with mental health disorders, they present to primary care services with physical symptoms, um, right? Mm -hmm. Parents and doctors may not always recognize the physical symptoms that are signs of mental Mm -hmm. health illnesses or emotional stress. A a parent may may see that a child is suffering from diarrhea and might see that it's just a stomach bug, not knowing that the child is getting bullied in school or is suffering from emotional stress from something that's happening in school. So Mm -hmm. um, it's very important for parents and teachers to be very attuned to these signs, right? Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of these signs start differently and then emerge and get progressively worse until they're in that place where it's really physical response. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we quite often overlook the young person who's sitting there dissociating, meaning they're sitting there kind of checked out. They might not be fully absorbing the information that you're giving them or the conversation, or it kind of seems like they're, they've gone to another planet for that, Mm -hmm. you know, minute or that period of time. They've tuned out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, we chalk that up to them not being able to focus or we chalk that up to, you know, oh, well, they're just in another, they're, they're on another planet right now, whatever. That's mm-hmm. just them. Mm-hmm. But that is a, that's a pretty significant sign that there's something going on and that our, our young people, when they dissociate, it's because they feel safer someplace else mm-hmm. when they're not able to be present here. It's because there's something wrong present here. Mm-hmm. And so we have to look at what we can change in that moment so that dissociation isn't unhealthy. It's a really common and, and can be a really helpful coping strategy. But if it's becoming too reliant or young people are too dependent on dissociation to be able to get through a day, then we need to pay attention to that before it escalates to the point where they're having severe stomach upset or mm-hmm. chronic headaches and fatigue. Or breaking out in hives, because sometimes that happens, yes. right? Oh, I am a stress hive person. I get stress hives. when I And I know when I'm not dealing with my mental health, because I will be scratching and covered in red, itchy welts. Yeah. Um, I, I was just, I was just uh, thinking, God, I have a lot of questions just when you, you, you say these things. Because as a teacher, I've also been a teacher myself. Do you reckon it's 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 better to call the the student the student's attention right there and then so that they're aware of what's happening, or just take them aside after the class and you know talk to them privately? I always advocate for waiting because mm-hmm. if a student in that moment is needing that space, they need to feel safe to take space and cope however they need to in an anxious state. That doesn't it. mean. Yeah. Let them have it. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that we leave it unaddressed. 
that just means we come to it later and we say, Hey, I, I noticed you struggling in class to focus. And I'm, I'm worried that you may have been experiencing some anxiety or that maybe something was going on for you. Uh, can you tell me what was happening for you in that moment? If you remember, and if they're able to verbalize it or, or be conscious of it, um, quite often they'll tell you, and if they're not ace and start asking, have you eaten today? Have you had any water to drink today? Mm-hmm. Have you been able to take a break? Meaning, mm-hmm. have you have you gone to the bathroom? Have you gotten uh, outside at all and gotten some fresh air? And then finally, um, how are things with your friends? Like, do you have people that you can sit with at lunch? Do you have a place that you can go when you are feeling a little unsettled or uncomfortable? And if that feeling heightens so that it's no longer a little unsettled or uncomfortable, uh, who are your people? Who are the other people in your corner that you can talk about that stuff with because it doesn't have to be me but there has to be somebody that you can feel safe whoever you're comfortable with yeah and what you've said we see this on social media a lot self-care what does that mean that's like making sure that that person has eaten today has Mm -hmm. showered you know has Mm -hmm. um done ones and twos you know Mm -hmm. um maslow's hierarchy of needs physiologic needs first you know what i mean yes yes And I guess and parents too, because this can happen at home if a child is tuning mm-hmm. out, you know, um, yeah. pay attention to that child. Yeah. And teenagers, we often think that, you know, because they're a teenager that we don't need to pay attention to any of their basic needs, that they have what they need to be able to get their own food, water, and have their physiological needs met. But that's actually not the case for a young person who's struggling with their mental health. Mm. Depression and anxiety are really loud voices in our heads that can convince us all the time to stop eating, to forget about food. They, they fill our heads with so many other things that we don't think about food. We don't think about water and we don't focus on our basic needs. They can convince us that we're not worth taking a shower. Mm. We're not worth having a bath and relaxing. We're not worth nourishing our bodies with healthy Mm. food and nutrition and belonging and sitting Mm. with the family And so we think that when a young person starts to retreat into their bedroom or are disconnecting that that's, oh, that's just being a teenager. It's a phase. He just wants to be alone. It's a phase. Oh my God. Yes. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's my, I hate hearing that. Oh, it's just a phase. Mm -hmm. That's it's just a phase or they're just, they just want attention. Mm -hmm. Both of those two things are some of the most common things that I hear as a teacher and as a therapist Mm -hmm. from parents. And the thing I really want to enforce is that no, it's never just a phase and no, it's never just attention. The world is so much different today than it was 10 or even five years ago. As a teacher and as a therapist, do you think social media, kids are on social media 24 seven has a lot to do with the decline in young people's mental health because depression and anxiety is certainly, I think, aggravated by bullying online and mm-hmm. your sense you were taught early on i mean kids are given a, a cell phone in grade school and they have a facebook page your sense of self-worth is equated with the number of likes or dislikes or shares on social media do you agree with that mm-hmm. totally yeah mm-hmm. i think what's challenging about social media is that if a young person back you know when i was a kid if i was being bullied at school i came home and unless i logged on to my dial-up internet uh, I wasn't going to have to keep facing it. <laughs> that sound. <laughs> I know. I can still hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but like now, if a young person, you know, they, there's no escaping it. They can't go home and, and 
put it away until the next day because it's just constant pinging from their device. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't like, in fact, I, I do know that anxiety because we feel it too, you know, mm -hmm. if, if I'm okay, we're going to happen next and, and we can sit there and keep checking and seeing what's going to happen next. And that's how they feel, but in a much more heightened and extreme sense, because it's with their peers, then they have to go to school the next day and see those people. Mm -hmm. And so that true. is horrifying. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's also, it's a double-edged sword, social media, because it's also mm -hmm. through social media that we've, we've combated ignorance about mm -hmm. mental health. And mm -hmm. it's through social media or the world, do we still call it the World Wide Web? I don't know that we've found people like <laughs> you, you know, to educate us about these things. Well, I do think in some instances, you know, like for young people who are struggling to make connections in their school and with their peers, there are some great resources online mm -hmm. for them to meet other people. And like, you know, there are some students who are perfectly happy communicating with the friends that they've met online. And those are people that they feel safe with, that they feel connected to, that they can talk to about things. And of course you have to be safe when you're doing that because you never know who you're really talking to in a lot of these instances. Mm, but for some true. of these kids who maybe wouldn't have otherwise had somebody that can be a pretty big, uh, a pretty big saving grace for some of them. Um, granting that getting professional help is the ideal scenario, we want to take advantage of you uh, being here. What can parents do to, to, or teachers, parents at home, teachers in school, if there are no resources available, like if, or if the resources are limited that the way it is in the Philippines, what are some red flags? Let's start with that. How do we recognize these? It's time to talk to this person or teenager. He can't just stay in his room. I have to talk to him. What are some signs mm -hmm. or if the person is younger? My favorite, I guess, like acronym that I use for, I use it primarily for suicide risk assessment, but it's also really useful for any level of mental health, uh, moderate to severe and can be great for intervention. Mm -hmm. uh, it's is path warm. And so it stands for ideation, suicidal ideation, or isolation. Is this young person isolating themselves and are they experiencing suicidal ideation? Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, how would I ever know that? Mm -hmm. How would I know if this kid's suicidal? Good ask question. them. Okay. If yeah. you have any fear about <clears throat> suicidality, just ask. It cannot be a taboo subject because if you are willing to ask the question, then a young person is going to know that it's not taboo to you and that you're not afraid to talk about it. Ah, it's a good point that you're an open person to, to a welcoming person to talk about it. Because a lot of people, not just Filipinos think that if you put, you plant that seed in the person's head, mm -hmm. it's a, the power of suggestions. So it's not true. No, I yeah. don't believe in, the, in mm -hmm. that at all. Because if, if somebody doesn't want to die say, saying the word suicide isn't going to make them want to die exactly <laughs> it's that's not going to be a, a an option for them but if a mm -hmm. young person is already struggling with suicidality and ideation they need to know that there's somebody that they can talk to about that nobody i want people to understand nobody wakes up suicidal one day it's a no. long process to get there totally totally yeah yeah. Um, the next one is substance use. So if you notice an increase in substance use, uh, smoking, even just like tobacco use that didn't used to be there. And it's kind of a new thing. Um, finding out more about what, what they're using that substance for is really important. Mm -hmm. If it's recreational and they're just hanging out with friends when they're using, that's really different than a young person who you are seeing using by themselves. What about, what about, I'll stop you there. What about coffee to cope? 
if she, the person's drinking too much coffee to cope, <laughs> caffeine is considered an illicit substance. I think that's a fair question, right? That is totally a fair question. And actually, that's really interesting because, yes, chronic fatigue is actually something to look out for, too. If you see a young person who's coming in every single day and the only way they can get through school or through the day at home is monster energy drinks or coffee mm-hmm. after coffee after yes. coffee then we need to be asking that question of, okay, what time did you actually go to bed last night? Like, did you get a a good night's sleep? Or is this Mm -hmm. actually because you were up until 3am on your phone? Or is this chronic fatigue that is the result of experiencing severe mental health? Oh, chronic fatigue syndrome. I first heard about that. I was so sad before I spoke to you. I just learned that uh, Betty White just passed away. And I'm from oh my the Golden God, Girls. I'm hearing that for the first time. Oh my God, I'm right so now. sorry. I had to give myself a little cry because what's gotten me through, I've been watching Golden Girls for the past 11 years before bed. Either it's just mm-hmm. two minutes or binging on four episodes to get yeah. me sleepy. And I first heard about chronic fatigue syndrome in that on that show. They were mm-hmm. so ahead of their time. So I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And this is a real thing now. Thank you. That people can feel tired for no reason. and it's mm-hmm. it, they're not just seeking attention. It's actually no, an illness. Totally. Yeah. And also we have to remember that uh, because anxiety can create all of these physiological symptoms, mm. like, uh, you know, if you're constantly tense and anxiety can tense all of the muscles in your body, uh, it can have your heart racing a lot more, and it can actually produce symptoms that are similar to having just run you know, a 10 kilometer run. Uh, if you are having digestive issues, which are the result of your body putting all of its energy into fight or flight, as opposed to digestion, Mm -hmm. that is exhausting. That is is taking such a toll on somebody's body, the chronic headaches that you can face Mm -hmm. the, the tension headaches and like the trying so hard to focus through it in a day and, and function normally when you feel, Uh, when you feel this immense anxiety is exhausting. And so so fatigue can be a real sign. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like if a young person is oversleeping or sleeping, you know, they're, they're not sleeping at night, but they're sleeping all day in their cycle. Sleep cycles really off. We have to pay attention to that as a sign too. That's not just typical teenage behavior either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, ideation and isolation. We've got substance use and we've got purposelessness. So um, if a young person is feeling a lack of purpose, they're not feeling driven to complete tasks. Uh, if they once used to love musical theater, for example, and now they're mm-hmm. dropping out of it um, or they're kind of withdrawing from a lot of things, we have to really pay attention to that too. If they used to do well in school and now they're no longer doing well, um, or if they're just not showing up, those are all signs that a young person is struggling. Either they're feeling unsafe, so they're not attending or putting their energies into school because they don't feel safe there, or uh, that feeling of unsafety has uh, exacerbated things like anxiety and depression. Withdrawal. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got anger. So if a young person seems to be uh, lashing out a little bit more, maybe a little more temperamental, uh, that can be irritable. Mm-hmm. Totally. That can totally be a sign that, um, that there's something else going on. We've got recklessness. So they're acting in ways that, that they wouldn't typically act. They seem to be making rash decisions or doing things that are fundamentally unsafe. Mm -hmm. Like when I was a teenager, it was like all the rage to go bridge jumping into the river. And there were times of the year when you could do this safely. (laughs) And then there were times of the year when you could do it very unsafely. Mm -hmm. So you, you want to know when this is happening. I'll just go with unsafe the whole year. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's fair. Probably is pretty. Okay. <laughs> oh, trapped. If they're feeling like they're trapped and that they don't have anywhere to go, that they don't have any options available to them, that they have lost autonomy. Mm-hmm. That's a really big one. So for parents and, and teachers alike, the more we can offer autonomy to young people, the more we can actually foster positive mental health and positive connections and attachment to you. And there's this huge fear around giving too much freedom that if we give too much freedom, that they're going to make all the wrong choices. And that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. If we give young people lots of choice and we present them with choices that are safe and helpful, Mm -hmm. but they get to make it, then they're going to make good choices. They just, they more often than not will, if they're given the opportunity to. And they Uh, learn what's bad for them from trial and error, right? Totally, totally. And they have to have freedom to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And that's so important that they can make mistakes, but know that when they come back after that mistake and they say, Oh, I really fucked up mm-hmm. that it's, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay mm-hmm. that you fucked up. We all fuck up and that's just life. come on back and yeah, come back. I still love you. That's okay. You're going to do it differently next time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Good. That's what I like to hear, you yeah. know? Uh, and then mood change of course is, is another one that we have to be really conscious of. Mm-hmm. And so if there's constant mood swings where there's Uh, It seems almost like they're overly excited or really enthusiastic about things versus really low mood or peaks and valleys. Yeah, Yeah, we have Mm -hmm. to be really conscious of those two. And so those are some things that if you're paying attention, they're pretty Mm -hmm. obvious that Mm -hmm. you can see them. The thing is that what I realized is that if you're a teacher or if you're a mom or a dad or a single parent that you're too busy, you've probably mm-hmm. seen this. Or if you're a teacher mm-hmm. in the Philippines, I don't know how it is where you are, but in the Philippines, if you're a teacher, they follow a lesson plan, like mm-hmm. the principal or the, the head of the school. You have to finish so-and-so uh, subject matters by the end of the semester. And if you don't, so the teachers just, they, they put aside, they've probably seen this science before, but they have mm-hmm. to finish a lesson plan or or the mm-hmm. schedule for the semester that they don't pay attention to it. So the thing yeah. is that when they grow up, you wonder why your kid turned out to be, it's multifactorial, I understand. But if you don't pay attention, mm-hmm. like why is he an alcoholic right now? Why is he a drug addict right now? It mm-hmm. might have started when he was young. So there's a lot mm-hmm. to do for us as parents and as older people, as teachers. Well, and I, I really, we have a curriculum that we have to follow as well. And perhaps mm-hmm. it's not uh, it's not quite as rigorous, but mm-hmm. we we do have a curriculum. We have a set of guidelines that we have to get through and kids are tested by the end of the year on, on a lot of this material. And so we do have expectations as teachers here too, that we mm-hmm. have to meet. But my argument is that if, if we're actually trying to teach curriculum and we have to get through all of this stuff, are we getting through it so that we can check a box? Or are we getting through it because this is what kids have to learn? And it's going through the to motions. Learn, totally. And if mm-hmm. kids have to know this stuff and actually learn it by the end of the semester, are they actually learning if they're in a heightened state of anxiety and depression every single day that they're in school Mm. or if they're not showing up at all? Mm. No, of course they're not. So taking that bit of time to build meaningful relationships with kids in school, asking them flat out, if you notice any of these kinds of symptoms, being straight up and saying, Hey, is everything okay? Things seem different today, Mm. yesterday or last week or last month, you seemed really engaged you seem to really like this stuff and now you don't what's going on. Like just being forthright about it and asking questions is, is really important. And taking even just five minutes can be the difference between a student saying, yeah, you know what? Like 
things are really shitty right now and I'm really overwhelmed and mm. I feel sad and scared and lonely. And then you can actually offer some help versus a student who's sitting with all of those feelings every single day and not learning anything anyway. This is why you should listen to Kim's podcast because I just had another aha moment here. Like I had listening to your podcast. If you're a teacher, if you're a parent, are you just ticking a box or is this, you know, the bigger picture? Your priority is what's really important. <laughs> What are the most common things, just working with young people, that you think adults are doing wrong? Can we start about language? What is the, what's mm-hmm. toxic about the language that we use, Kim? Yeah. So I actually talk a lot about language on my blog and podcast as well, because language plays a really big role in uh, how young people see us as well. And whether they see us as somebody who's going to be safe and understanding, or if they judge us as somebody who isn't going to uh, understand them. And so, uh, so we'd already mentioned the word phase or attention Mm -hmm. seeking. Mm -hmm. Those are two things that, that, Oh my God. Attention seeking. Yeah. First of all, phase. Okay. Let's for argument's sake, even though I don't agree that there's ever like kids going through a phase, particular, particularly with gender and sexuality, let's say for argument's sake, it's a phase. What harm is it going to do to honor that phase? What harm is it going to do to say, okay, today you'd like to use they, them pronouns. I will use they, them pronouns for you. Even if that's going to change, what difference does that make for us? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't make any difference. So if you are committed to it being a phase, honor it for what it is, and that's fine. But the bottom line is that kids don't have phases that are, are problematic phases are part of development and growth and they should always be seen. Yeah. And they should always be seen that way and not seen as something that is uncomfortable for us as the adult or annoying or inconvenient. Or if anything, it shows the child that as an adult, you respect him, you respect what he's going for, if anything. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I think the more that we can just honor where kids are at and stop referring to their experiences as phases that they're going through, Mm -hmm. the more they're going to feel safe to talk to us. The other one is attention seeking. And you hear this a lot in the uh, suicide community as well. Yes. And it's infuriating Mm -hmm. because suicidality is not a phase. Mm -hmm. Kids who feel seen and kids who feel heard and acknowledged and respected don't need to seek attention. So even if they're attention seeking, that is a problem that they are in a position where they feel that they have to seek attention. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. So Mm -hmm. let's make sure that we are seeing them and hearing them and validating them because if they're attention seeking, it's because those things aren't happening. And that's what creates uh, further, more significant mental health things Mm -hmm. later on down the line too. Dismissive behavior that we exhibit, perhaps? Yeah. So I, I'm also really big into acknowledging that mental health isn't and and diagnoses aren't necessarily lifelong sentences, mm-hmm. that there's room for growth and that there's room for change, and that our brains are really malleable and they uh, we can develop new neural pathways throughout our lifespan, all the way up into old age. And so even though it was once thought that our neural pathways were done developing by a certain point, that's we now know that that's not true. And so we can break cycles of depression and anxiety as we go along and create new circumstances that we're functioning in because these things aren't innate as part of us, their experiences and their natural experiences. And we can, over time, uh, we can 
find new coping strategies and find new ways of being, even if that means that we're using medication to, uh, to treat or cope or that we're in therapy for long-term, whatever that might be, it's not a constant state of being. When you feel depressed, it's not necessarily constant. There are moments of your day when you don't feel depressed Mm -hmm. and there are moments of your day when you're not feeling anxious. And let's Mm -hmm. try to make sure that we are paying attention to that too, Mm -hmm. that anxiety is something that we all have. It's important that we all have it. It is an important tool that that we've evolved to have, how can we make sure that you're acknowledging the times when you're not anxious and Mm. the times when anxiety is coming from something else? The thing is that adults, when they like, I've been diagnosed with clinical depression, I have admitted Mm. that. And sometimes when other people see you, well, he doesn't look depressed. He looks happy. Mm. Like you don't know what's going on. It's like cry. Do you want me to be locked up in my room all the time? Boohooing my eyes out. Totally. Yeah. 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 And it's something that like, how ridiculous, right? Like to think that one dimensional. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That every single day now that's all you are. It's Mm. not a part. It's not all of who anybody is. And I think that we need to make sure we're changing that language too. So there's not a stigma around it, that Mm. you can be depressed and happy. Mm -hmm. You can be depressed and have friends and go out and do great things. It doesn't have to be like the core part of who you are, Mm -hmm. that it's depression. And then all these other things. What advice would you give if you're the one, if you're a young person, if you're if you're a person, an LGBTQ person who, who has been told that you have been attention seeking, get over it. If you're the you're the person who says, My family does not support me, what can you do? What what techniques can a person do? That might First be an unfair, all. unfair question to ask you, uh, Kim, but no, 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 I'm gonna ask it okay. anyway. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, first of all, that sucks. That shouldn't mm-hmm. happen. I know that it does happen and I, I see it all the time where young people who have come out have been now ostracized from their families and um, and from their peer groups. And, mm-hmm. um, and that just shouldn't happen. And if people are saying, oh, this is a phase or this is attention seeking or get over it, that's about them, not about you. And it says more about that person and what that person needs to do to grow and change than it does about the person that it's being said to. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with the LGBTQ2 plus young mm-hmm. person. And I think that uh, a young person who has come out and, and who uh, isn't getting supported, there are supports out there. There are people who, who are going to love you and care about you regardless of how you identify. And you have to remember that you can still grow and thrive and be the best version of you, even if those other people aren't willing to grow and thrive and be the best version of themselves. Mm. And that for a long time, I think forever, uh, young people, uh, LG, particularly LGBTQ2 plus young people, they take a lot of the blame for what happens after they come out. Oh, totally. So when the family is put into upheaval because they've come out, well, it's not actually because they've come out. It's because of the family's response to them coming out. It has nothing to do with how that young person identifies. The kid was gay before he came out and told them that he was gay. Thank you. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's about that family and it's about their response and they need to manage that response. I always say young people are the barometer for health in their family. And that doesn't mean that they're mm. responsible for the health, but it means that what we see in them is reflective of how healthy the rest of the family is and what's going on and what problematic behaviors or responses are happening within that family. And so it's not their responsibility to change it. And it's not their fault by any stretch. 
they are merely a mirror holding up to the family like, hey, this is your shit that is going Mm -hmm. on here. The reason I feel anxious, depressed, fearful, lonely, it's because of all of these things that that are going on at home with Mm -hmm. you guys. And uh, it should be an opportunity for those families to say, okay, take a step back. It's okay to react poorly if you know that you've reacted poorly Mm -hmm. and can come back from it and own it, acknowledge the mistake, Mm -hmm. acknowledge that you're also human Mm -hmm. and make sure that the bottom line here is, is that your children know that it's not their fault. They're loved no matter what. And that your poor reaction or the family's response isn't about them. You need Mm -hmm. to own that. I'll flip the switch again. How can parents or teachers take care of their own mental health? Where I am right now in the world, I just read news uh, on the internet that a lot of mental health practitioners have resigned because of just the influx and the weight. They've had to like just more people coming to them for, for because of COVID and the pandemic. Mm. And so how we talk about self-care. So how can parents and teachers take care of their own mental health? Because that eventually projects to to their kids, right? To young people, to the mm-hmm. people that they, they reach out to. So how can they take care of their own mental health? What do you do, Kim? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, every day it's different. And sometimes it's just a big cry. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and that's okay, right? That's yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. It's funny, actually, like uh, one of the things that that a lot of people think as a teacher or as a, as a counselor, that you can't cry with the young people you work with. And I really hope that they don't ever come out with research saying that that's true because I cry all the time. And so um, it's okay for young people to know that you're human and it's okay for them to see uh, moments that you are struggling because moments of struggle aren't uh, aren't synonymous with moments of weakness oh mm-hmm. and so I think allowing yourself to feel is really good modeling for young people mm-hmm. and also is good self-care because if you're sitting across as a therapist speaking as a therapist if you're sitting across from a young person who's telling you this absolutely gut-wrenching story and it's bringing tears to your eyes that's authentic that's Let real. Go. And it's, yeah, like <laughs> feel free to cry with them mm-hmm. and, and hold that space with them because uh, holding that in and waiting till the doors closed and then crying on your own, you know, that that's a lot of mental and physical exertion that you mm-hmm. are, are, are using to try to withhold mm-hmm. showing any kind of emotion. And I don't know that that's always helpful. Also like boundaries are really big. And, and I've recently, because I put a lot of emphasis on my blog and podcast on relationship building, and I've had a few people mention, well, aren't you, you're supposed to be their teacher, not their friend. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, totally. And I would argue that I am absolutely their teacher and not their friend because I, I can be friendly. I can have humor and we can play and have jokes and, and a good time. But I also know what my boundaries are and I know how to express what they are. And I think that we need to be comfortable and safe to, to say like, this needs to stop or that needs to stop in order for me to continue doing my job the way that I need to, or in order for, uh, for you to learn or whatever it may be, you can still be friendly and playful and have boundaries. And so I think that, you know, feeling like you can exert them while explaining, this is why I'm exerting this boundary. This is what part of me needs to have this boundary, or this is how I'm feeling in the moment models for young people, how to do the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. It models for them how to say, this is how I'm feeling in the moment. This is what my boundaries are. And this is how I need to feel safe and comfortable here. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm very transparent with my students mm-hmm. about my boundaries and, and where the line is really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's important self-care and important modeling. Really good points. And w- when it, when it comes to crying, I guess within good reason, right? I mean, don't be crying more than the kid. <laughs> no, no. I always say, <laughs> and I don't cry when more the than kid the kid. You pull ever. yourself together. Are you okay? Can I get you a glass of water? <laughs> no, the idea is that you never put them in agency. Mm-hmm. So oh, mm-hmm. if you're crying, it's so that you're not putting them in agency where they feel like they have to look after you. So if the tears come organically because you're stressed or whatever, make sure that, that you're not putting them in a position where they're having to rub your back or get you water or, or fix your hair and and the mascara under your eyes. But then again, if that happens, it happens. Um, There has to be some personal recalibrating, I guess. And I think practice what you preach. If you tell your, your students and your kids to do self-care, make sure that you've eaten uh, yeah. well hydrated, then you should do it for yourself as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big advocate for exercise too. I think, mm, okay. um, as a person who struggles with anxiety and was diagnosed with generalized anxiety and was on medication for a while, I recently actually went off the medication and I'm managing on my own without, but huge advocate for exercise. So I wake up early every morning. I do half an hour to 45 minutes of exercise and walk my dog and have my coffee. And my mornings are like my time for me. And it's really important that I have that space where I don't really have to interact with anybody else. I don't have to do anything and I can be mindful and and set mindful intentions for my day. This is how I want this to look. These are the things I know that are going to happen today. There's of course going to be unpredictable things as well, but these are the things I know that could be stressful. I'll play out in my head, you know, while I'm walking my dog, what are those, what's really going to be stressful about those things? And is it something that I'm building up to be more stressful than it actually is going to be? And quite often that's the case where I'll be dwelling on a meeting with my principal or on a meeting with a parent. And I'll be thinking, oh my God, this is going to be so difficult or challenging or whatever. If I actually take the time to stop in the morning, reflect on what that conversation is actually going to look like, then I can prepare myself for it and say, you know what? We're there to support the young person. We both have the same goal in mind. We both want the same outcome, which is support. I know these things to be true. They know these things to be true. It'll be fine. We'll be able to meet somewhere in the middle. And Mm. because we have the same objective, like just talking myself through it can be a, a really helpful strategy for just circumventing any of the potential uh, anxiety flare-ups through the day. And, and just hearing you talk about this, that you do exercise for so self-care, you underline the importance of exercise. You won't believe how many emails or, or messages on Facebook we get on our for a podcast from people just asking for help. And a lot of, of Filipinos, I think, just think that help exists outside of them. So they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting from outside, not realizing that they can actually help themselves. I mean, eventually some help has to come from the environment. Uh, They have to see a doctor. Mm -hmm. The problem in the Philippines is that counseling costs about anywhere from $20 to $90, which is about 1,000 to 4,500 Philippine pesos. And just to give you a little bit of context, Kim, the 4,500 pesos can buy you like one session of counseling can buy you 
one sack of rice. A sack of rice goes up to about your hip, wow. so that can feed a family of four for about 15 days. Yeah. And aside from the sack of rice. Probably a bag of groceries that can last you a week. And so, if you're struggling to survive from day to day, mental health—it's not in Maslow's at the bottom. It's not there. It's, it's totally it, Wi-Fi is probably more important. You know what yeah. I mean? Or electricity yeah. or running water. So yeah. So exercise. Yeah, I, I love what you just said. That these are some things that you can do if you really want to take care of yourself. Don't wait for outside help. While you're waiting for outside help, take care mm-hmm. of yourself. Exercise. Drink water. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you're you, you're well hydrated. Eat. Go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say one thing. People underestimate the value of drinking water. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're anxious, you secrete a lot of cortisol and the stress uh, hormone. The stress hormone, exactly. And so that can lead to, like we said, digestive issues. It can lead to heart palpitations. It can lead to racing heart or panic attacks. And drinking water can actually help to flush excess cortisol. So if you're dehydrated, it can produce an increase in cortisol throughout the day if you're already stressed. And so helping to drink a lot more water can help to uh, manage some of those stress responses you might be having. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I say to to young people, and of course I'm a huge advocate for therapy because I am a therapist and I really believe in talk therapy. Mm-hmm. But I also think talk therapy is only as good as the strategies and skills you're willing to take from it, oh. because it's not meant as a, a lifelong solution to anything, and uh, it's not going to help if you're not doing the work. You all mm-hmm. you have to work on yourself while it's happening. Therapy is exhausting and it's hard. It's not a one hour per week session. That's going to fix everything for you. It's one hour for somebody to tell you how you can fix yourself <laughs> and your own struggles. And that can sometimes be a lot to, uh, to have to yeah. have to realize. I, I just have to ask you this. And this is a personal question. Is totally. it really hard to, because I see a counselor and I dump everything on my counselor. But like I say, for And I feel sorry for the guy. He's a rainbow counselor, by the way. God bless yeah. him. And is it is it hard? How do you cope? Like listening to this person, I feel sorry for him. Honestly, oh, I have my own counselor, so that, <laughs> that's how I cope. Uh, you know, like every therapist has their own person too, and they go, they dump everything, and they walk and go, "Ooh, that feels better. Great." Oh, God. And they can go about their business. <laughs> and like, yeah, you know, it's, it can be, um, there's burnout and there is mm-hmm. compassion fatigue is real, mm-hmm. but you learn strategies as a therapist to like separate out what's yours and what isn't like, what is stuff that is actually mine that I need to deal with and stress about. And what is the stuff that is somebody else's where I can help them learn how to cope and, and deal with that so that we aren't carrying other people's burdens. <laughs> You know, we talked a lot about Maslow's hierarchy, and I think in terms of uh, of self care, this is what I I cover in a first session with a young person all the time. Are you eating, drinking water, and do you have friends? And if they're not doing those things, other things that are going on, and if they don't have a family who can support them to do those things, which I see more often than not, I'll actually get them to set timers in their phones, and I'll say, "Okay, you have to eat by nine o'clock in the morning. Mm. You have to eat by noon. You have to eat by three, and you have to eat by seven. And I said, if you do these, I just I'm just going to get you like keep the event or whatever, however you want to schedule it in your calendar or in your alarms, whatever, to remind you to do these things. And I said. 
depression and anxiety is going to tell you to hit the snooze button or turn it off altogether, ignore it until later. So please don't do that. Even if all you eat is a bite of an apple and you can't stomach the rest, take the bite of the apple and throw the rest of it, you know, give it to somebody else, put it aside for later, whatever you've got to do, a spoonful of peanut butter, whatever, but just something that says, Hey, anxiety and depression, I'm not going to listen to you right now. You don't want me to eat. Well, I'm going to rebel against that and I'm still going to eat something. And if you can't stomach anything, drink a full glass of water and then ask yourself again in, you know, half an hour or so, can you stomach some food yet? Can you drink some tea? Can you get anything in your system that um, is just telling that voice in your head that says that you're, you don't need it or you're not worth it, or that's telling that's, that's causing you to forget to do those self-care things, just telling it that you can take care of yourself, even if it's little pieces every single day. And sometimes it takes something that structured and it's, you're not failing if you're not doing it, but it can help for a lot of young people to, to help meet some of those needs if they don't have a family member or support system who can help meet it for them. So for Filipinos who are, are listening right now, this is actually what a therapist should tell you or will tell you if you go to them and you pay them. So this is free advice from a therapist from Canada, nonetheless, who's had 10 years of experience working with uh, LGBTQ youth or just people in general, young people who are going through these mental health issues. So mm-hmm. take care of yourself because that that really helps. It, it It's like um, you're going into battle and it just gets you ready to fight uh, at least for another day. You know, it tides you totally. over for the next battle, for the next attack, for the next totally. stressful event. Yeah. Well, and so then just with that in mind, I think ideally a therapist is going to do this with you or another supportive adult is going to do this stuff with you, but having a safety plan in place is really crucial. And so when I design a safety plan with a young person who is struggling with their mental health or particularly with suicidality, we look first at three coping strategies that they can use that are healthy coping strategies. So it can't list a substance. uh, It can't list um, anything that, that long-term isn't actually going to be helpful. So it could be go for a walk. It could be hang out with friends. It could be listen to music. It could be watch reruns of friends, whatever it is. Your favorite you show, to, something familiar. Yeah, exactly. Something that helps to take you from that heightened state to a calmer state. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing that I would have is three places or sorry. Yeah. Three places that you can go if you're feeling unsafe with yourself. So it's helpful to list these down, listen, down. have it in a, in a journal, mm-hmm. have it someplace where you can see it every single day, three places where you can go. And it could be as simple as like a coffee shop down the street. It could be your neighbor's house. It could be the bus stop. It doesn't matter where it is, but someplace where you can be around other people, people, even people you don't know mm-hmm. someplace public, where even if you wanted to hurt yourself, you physically couldn't. Uh, Okay. And, uh, and then three people that you can call when you get there. So whether that's a friend or a, a teacher or or a counselor or your parent, an aunt or uncle, it doesn't matter. Um, but three people, you have to list all three that you could contact when you get there. And then three other support systems. So I would put like a crisis counseling line, um, which is like, I don't know if they have those in the Philippines where there's um, a few crisis. <laughs> and I'll, right. I'll get flack for saying that, but I'm so pessimistic, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I would put like a counseling line down um, and list two or three different ones. If there are different ones available, or if I'm the person's counselor, I would put my office hour line and, uh, when they can reach me. And, um, back when I was doing crisis work where I'd be available outside of office hours, I'd have my cell phone, my, my work cell phone 
there too, where they could reach me or whomever they can reach in those moments. Mm-hmm. Even just one number that they know they can get somebody on the other side is, mm-hmm. is really important. These are life-saving techniques and I've, I've been through them too, believe me. Yeah. And they're really, really helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you go, if you, you go through the list of people, don't be disheartened if the first person doesn't call because there was a time when yeah. I had an attack, it got me to the third person and I was fine by the time it got to the third person. Yeah. So totally. And sometimes, you know, having just even having the the safety plan in place and just being like, okay, I'm actually fine by the end of watching my favorite show, three or four reruns of my favorite show. Great. Then you don't need to move on to the next step. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. But Mm -hmm. if you do just keep going through the steps until you're in a place where you feel safe with yourself again, because that's, that's the point of a safety plan and making sure that you're, you're not going to make, make a decision that you can't come back from. For parents to understand that uh, it's okay to do things wrong, as long as you're willing to correct it and come back from it, that it's not, you know, having the wrong response to your young person who's struggling with their mental health isn't a, a permanent response and you don't have to commit to it. That at any point you can change course and say, I know yesterday I said, I didn't believe you, but today I do. And I'm, I'm sorry. And that that carries a lot of weight for our young people. Our goal is always a secure, healthy attachment. And uh, I talk a lot about attachment theory in uh, my blog and my podcast, thecontemporaryeducator.com. And so, you know, if if you're looking to continue to enforce and support secure attachment, we have to be willing to uh, own our mistakes. And as humans, we make them all the time (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's okay. And yeah. And it's, it's okay to, uh, to apologize. It's okay for your, your child to hate you for a little bit and to think that you're the worst for a little bit. But even if they're responding in a way that's hurtful to you as the adult, we have the responsibility to hold safety and hold security for them. Mm -hmm. They're allowed to react. We have to come back from our reactions and model what it looks like to do that. So they can learn how to do that too. They should not be expected to learn how to do that yet. And especially not if we're reacting all the time too, without ever taking pause, responding gently and giving them space. And for young people who are struggling right now, just know that your parents' reaction or response to how your, what your experience is, isn't the only way to respond. And that there are a lot of people who are going to love you and care about you regardless of how you are on any given day and how you feel and that you're not flawed or broken. You don't need to be fixed or changed and that you will grow into the best parts of yourself. And I really encourage people to start to see mental health, regardless of what that is, as a powerful part of who they are too. Because those who are struggling with depression and anxiety and even ADHD, all of these things are in their own way, yes, challenging and difficult and and can feel impossible, but they are also a superpower in that you are more sensitive and aware of the world than other people. You have seen the world in a new light, in a way that, that you're responding to things that are really shitty out there. You're seeing shitty things and you're holding it because you are a sensitive, caring, compassionate being. 
And if you weren't all of those amazing things, you wouldn't feel the way that you do. And so please hold on to the amazing parts of who you are. The fact that you are compassionate and you are sensitive and you are warm and loving and that you are willing to put yourself out there in such a way that you sometimes become the punching bag for the world. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that that has to be all that you are. Mm, Wonderful words. I really encourage everybody to listen to Kim's podcast. Tell tell them about your podcast again, Kim, and where they can listen to it. Yeah. So my podcast, Teach, Emote, Repeat, uh, the Contemporary Educators podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, on on Spotify, on iHeartRadio kind of all the different places where you can listen to podcasts, you can find it. You can also find it on my website, thecontemporaryeducator.com. And uh, you can also follow me on Instagram where I post like different things um, at teach.emote.repeat. And uh, yeah, I'm publishing new stuff on trauma-informed practice and coming out with a trauma-informed practice course for teachers so that they can start to implement some of the strategies that we've talked about today in their own classrooms in practical and meaningful ways to create safe spaces without taking away time from their curricular instruction. So for what you said about, about Philippine, the curriculum in the Philippines where they have to meet certain guys, I'm hopeful that uh, this new course that should be launched within the next month month will um, kind of target some of that for mm-hmm. for teachers who are wanting to make some of these changes, but struggling with how to implement them. I learned a lot just listening from your podcast. So if there are a lot of Filipino teachers listening or parents who want to learn techniques. I had a lot of aha moments just listening to Kim's podcast. Thank it's you. great. So the Blue Kiki Project seeks to emphasize that mental health is a human experience. Symptoms and circumstances of mental health problems come in unlimited shapes and forms, but they are above all, like Kim's just said, they're a normal part of being alive. So we must care not only for our bodies, but also for our emotions and thoughts and take care of our youth. Parents and teachers are the ultimate role models for children. Every word, every movement, every action affects your children. No other person or outside force has a greater influence on a child than a parent or a teacher. Mm -hmm. And if you're somebody struggling with a mental health illness right now, it all starts with being honest with your pain, with your anger and your shortcomings instead of pretending that they don't exist. And like Kim said, very, very eloquently, it is not your fault. It is okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Kim, it was wonderful meeting you and talking to you. Thank you very much for honoring our invite. Yeah, thank you so much for having me I really appreciated it and and I think what you're doing is so incredible and like I know that for for what you're doing in the Philippines it's an uphill battle to talk about mental health but it will make all the difference and so yeah thank you so much for having me I feel really honored and what you're doing is great as well so and if you think this project can help somebody that you know please tell them to listen um tell them to listen to uh Kim's podcast give us a rating and a review follow and a like support us support the blue kiki project on buymeacoffee.com your support helps us just continue to do what we do so that's another blue kiki project done and dusted thank you bessies thanks kim happy new year thank you happy new year what's for dinner (laughs) oh god i don't even know yet (laughs) (laughs) that's good enough all right probably a bottle of wine you have just been served this has been the balut kiki project uniquely panoi unapologetically queer we are now declaring this project complete 
Thanks for bearing with me on that. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. No, that's so- such interesting information. Like I, uh, I had obviously after you emailed me, I did a little bit of research to kind of learn uh, myself to know a little bit more because I hate to say how ignorant I am about what it looks like in other countries. But um, did you find anything? I had no idea. There wasn't a lot, to be honest. Not, exactly. and that's the problem. That's the problem. Thank you for clicking play. Don't forget to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And leave us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the show.